one of my first memories of middle school, dun dun dun, was the 100 word essay. The first week of class of seventh grade uh, on a Tuesday, my English teacher assigned us to write a 100 word essay about some topic for homework. Doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but to me, as a little seventh grade student, that was, that was a big deal. I remember feeling my jaw just drop, you know, during class, like, what? That, we have to do that tonight, the whole thing? Like, a hundred words? In sixth grade, you know, we had done, like, you spend weeks writing an essay. You know, you write an introduction of a couple sentences, and then you kind of, you know, form the main body with a paragraph or two or three, and then you write a conclusion. I mean, you know, we went through this whole writing process of learning how to do these different steps, and in my mind, it was like, I have to do this whole thing of weeks of work in one night, like, this is middle school. I'm going to die. I'm not going to make it. So that night after soccer practice and dinner, I, I, I lost it. You know, I'm like trying to start my homework, and I'm just like the fear starts to come back of, you know, oh my gosh, I have to do this whole essay. It's already 7.30, you know. I'm crying. My parents are trying to console me, you know, tell me that, you know, you can do it. It's not that big of a deal. Let's just try to start. And, you know, I'm just, I'm crying. I'm weeping. You know, my grandfather was there. He's watching this whole scene. Finally, they call me down and up to start, and, and, and they say, okay, well, why don't you just, you know, what do you think about this topic? Just write a couple sentences, you know, just get started, and, you know, 10 minutes later, it was done, right? This is often the experience of our lives, is it not? You know, things seem to loom larger than they really are, and we get bent out of shape by the little things in our day. You know, even though, you know, if we were to take a step back, we would know that they're not really that big of a deal. It's not, most of the time, it's not life or death things. Obviously, in seasons of our life, we do face things that are a bigger deal. We do face things that involve life or death or serious kind of relational issues or other things in our lives. So the big question that we're asking right now is, how do we get out from under the stress of the little things in our life that seem to overwhelm us? And additionally, how then do we deal with things in life that are big enough to seem like they could overwhelm us? How do we move from a place of feeling and being overwhelmed by life to a place of peace? We're in a series called Overwhelmed, and we're talking about making a shift in our lives from being overwhelmed by life to being overwhelmed by love, specifically the love of Jesus. So in this series, we're asking this question from a number of different angles these, this last week and these next few weeks ahead of us. How do we move out of being overwhelmed by life, whether it's little things that we know should not overwhelm us, or we even feel ashamed to admit, I can't believe I let that get the best of me, to things in life that are hard and that seem almost legitimate to be overwhelming. 
So today, we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of Luke. And if you have a Bible and want to turn there, it's Luke chapter 10, and we're going to start right at the bottom in verse 38. So Luke chapter 10, this is in verse 38. It's also going to be up on the screen if you want to, if you want to read along. Also, it's great just to close your eyes and listen. That's how the original hearers would have heard it, because most people back then couldn't read. All right, Luke 10, 38. While they were traveling, he entered a village. This is Jesus is talking about. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will, be not, it will not be taken away from her. The Bible says that there is something that allows us to rise above the circumstances of life. And the key to getting free from the feelings of being overwhelmed by life is to be overwhelmed by love. Now, most of us can identify with Martha in this story. If we're going to eat, someone's got to make the dinner, right? Someone's got to set the table. Someone's got to start the process of getting the food going. Someone's got to get the bread, kneading the bread, getting the oven, checking the oven, right? Maybe for you, you know, you get stuck chasing the kids in the back of the church while your spouse is, you know, loving it up with Jesus in the front. You're feeling like, come on, when's it my turn, you know? You're serving in children's ministry again. Or you have, you're the one that's got to come early, week after week, to set up the sanctuary for other people to enjoy. You're busy helping clean up after church. Other people are just laughing it up in a group of friends. You do all the dishes, and your roommate always leaves a mess. There's lots of times in our life we want to like, be like, Lord, come on. Can't you see what's going on here? We got work to do. There's things that are going. These people are just, you know, hamming it up in the living room. Jesus, aren't you going to tell Mary to come help me out? I mean, someone's got to do this. Jesus, don't you want to eat? You hungry? What's interesting is that Jesus doesn't condemn Martha. Now, Martha gets a bad rap. Okay, I think in a lot of ways, if you've heard this story before, you grew up in church, but Jesus doesn't give her that rap. He gently redirects her. Many of us in our minds, you know, when we get overwhelmed by little things in our life, if it's the little thing issue, we feel a little bit, you know, ashamed at the end of that. You know, like, ah, oh, I, I shouldn't have felt bad about that. Or I shouldn't have gotten so mad at my kids. Or I shouldn't have exploded at my roommate for leaving the dishes in the sink again. That's because I think we expect a harsher Jesus. We feel a little self-condemned. Like, I shouldn't have reacted that way. I mean, can you picture Jesus saying to Martha, Martha, you better quit that complaining. 
You know, how could you even ask that question, Martha? Are you stupid? You obviously are stupid and incompetent. You can't handle all this stuff on your plate. You got to complain to me about it and interrupt this important lesson I'm giving to my disciples and Mary. Can't you see that Mary's doing the right thing, Martha? Aren't you holy, Martha? You're such a stupid sinner. Now, it seems ridiculous to put those words in Jesus' mouth, doesn't it? But how often are you playing that tape to yourself and assuming that that is how Jesus would react to you in your place of feeling overwhelmed by life? I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't have gotten angry about that. I shouldn't, should, 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 should. You're shitting all over yourself. That's a dirty word, guys. And we all know we're not supposed to sweat the small stuff, or we're not supposed to get upset about this or that, or we have this, you know, idea of who we should be. That we, we assume that God is treating us the same way. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus is gentle with us because we are the beloved. Jesus is gentle with you and kind because you are the beloved. He never gives you the back of the hand. He never brushes you off. He never, you know, puts you down in your moment of weakness. If you're feeling overwhelmed by life, Jesus is okay with that. In the sense of he's okay with where you're at. He's not pointing the finger, accusing you, and saying, you gotta, you got to change this. Come on. Can you, I can't believe you're like this. I can't believe you st- you're still in the same cycle of feeling overwhelmed by life. Come on, get a grip. Be an adult. That's not Jesus. It's not even close to Jesus. Jesus addresses Martha saying her name twice. In the ancient Near East, that was a way to show affection to someone. He's leading with what? He's leading with love. He's leading this conversation of where Martha's at to redirect her, but he's leading with kindness. He's leading with an affectionate stance. Martha, Martha. It's the same thing we see with God dealing with Moses at the burning bush. God says his name twice. It's a way to show affection just in saying the person's name in that culture. Hey, he just tells her she's stressed about a bunch of things, but, but Mary's got this one thing. You know, she's stressing about a lot of stuff. Yeah, and that's important. Jesus is probably thinking, yeah, I do want to eat tonight, you know, if we can get there. But I'm not going to read to Mary because what she's doing is the central thing. It even says in this passage, you know, Mary also sat at the Lord's feet, implying that Martha was a follower of Jesus. She's not an outcast, no good, you know, wicked sister like in all those fairy tales we read. It's not that. Martha's probably the older sister, and she's the one that's, you know, she's the one that gets some stuff done, right? She's the one you look to to say, oh, yeah, she's, she's holding the family together. You know, she's, she's forging ahead. She's getting a meal ready, and she just is missing it here. And Jesus is just kindly redirecting her. He's affectionately calling her to a higher place. It's not a comparison thing either. Like, 
You should have been like your sister, Martha. He's not comparing. He's just, Martha's the one drawn Mary into this deal. So Jesus is saying, hey, Martha, she's, she's doing the one thing. I don't want to pull her out of that. I know you do. And it's not even that Jesus is maybe saying, Martha, don't stop the preparations. He's just saying, Mary's doing this. She's doing this one thing that's necessary. So Jesus is painting this picture of what Mary is is doing in this moment. You know, this one thing that Jesus is talking about. We see Mary and Martha kind of, you know, float through Jesus' life and some of the different Gospels. It's actually, this is the only Gospel where this exact story is, with this Mary and Martha kind of exchange about who's going to make dinner. But we get a picture that kind of, Jesus is like a family friend to them. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus, probably knowing, I would think, to some degree, what Martha's doing in the kitchen. Maybe she's so absorbed by what Jesus is saying, she's forgotten all about Martha and all the things, or maybe she's just making a conscious choice. We don't know. But in some sense, this is a really strong picture of faith, of what it means to follow Jesus. It's sitting at Jesus' feet, hearing His words, listening to His voice, being in His presence. It's, it's an idea that Luke weaves through his gospel to, to communicate this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. This is what people come to Jesus and do. It's a picture of faith that he's presenting. And when Jesus says to Martha that Mary has chosen the one thing, that was actually a big statement. Because back then in the synagogues where the Jews would teach about the Torah, The one thing, that same phrase, was the study of the Torah. The Torah is just the Hebrew word for the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I went to Sunday school. But it also can kind of refer to all of the Jewish scriptures. So do you you feel the weight of what he said there? Mary's got the one thing that's necessary and it's not the study of the Torah. It's me. Jesus, greater than Bible. Jesus. The Bible's awesome. The Bible's not Jesus. Jesus is a person. We don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus, who is a person who is alive. And what it looks like to know God is to be in a relationship with a person named Jesus. The invitation to move out of the place that Martha is in and into this place that Mary is in, it's an invitation into a love relationship. And when we are overwhelmed by life, the solution is to be overwhelmed by something else. Actually, someone else. That is the journey of a follower of Jesus. It is one who more and more is walking through life as someone that is overwhelmed by the love, the joy, and the peace of God. 
people before Jesus even knew that this was possible. The psalmist says, let me read a couple of verses, one of them we read this morning in the call to worship. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Psalm 63, 3. Psalm 16.11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. If we want to get free from being overwhelmed by life, the small stuff and the big stuff, the answer of the Bible is to move towards being overwhelmed by the love of God. And that comes by sitting at the feet of Jesus. And that's what Jesus, as a church, is calling us to. When you fall in love with someone, you do some weird things oftentimes. My wife heard a story, I think it was on NPR radio, just like a week or two ago, about how they've studied the brain, and when someone is you know, in love, their brain, what's going on in their brain is similar or the same as what happens when someone is insane. My wife can cite the source for you on that one. Science there, there's something similar. We do weird things, you know, when we are in love. And that's really where God is wanting us to go. It enables us to do crazy things like having peace, even though we're going through, you know, a difficult emotional time in our lives whether it's because of, you know, an affliction, like a physical ailment, or some kind of, you know, long-term disability. Maybe it's just, you know, discord in a relationship that you're in. You know, there, there, there's tension, there's fighting in your home. Maybe it's just uncertainty about the future or finances. Whatever it is, it's crazy. It's crazy to have peace when stuff in your life is swirling all around you. But it's crazy, right? You're crazy when you're in love. Somehow God is saying, this is possible, and it, you can rise above the circumstances of your life and live at a place of peace and joy through being in love with God. It allows you to do other crazy things, like loving your enemies. Now, Jesus is not talking about wearing some rose-colored glasses here, where, okay, oh, everything's good, everything's good, everything's awesome, you know? Everything's cool when you're part of the team. You know? That's not what he's saying. He's not saying everything's awesome. He's not saying everything is good. Put on some rose-colored glasses. He's, take, he's telling you to take off those dark shades so that you can see fully His love and who He is for you 
amidst the circumstances. He's calling you to rise above those things by encountering Him. All right. I don't know if you've, if you've spent a lot of time in church or not. Maybe this is your first time in a church, and this all sounds a little weird, like falling in love with God. I mean, how in the world could that be possible? Or how is that even a thing? What does that even mean? I mean, you know, can God even be known, assuming that there you know, is a God there at all? Well, I want to hit on two things that I, that I sense that are, are foundational in the Bible and to life. And the first is the assumption uh, that God is everywhere. Now, for most people, that's not a huge jump. I mean, you kind of say, okay, well, if there is a God that can create everything and is kind of, you know, outside of time or whatever, he probably somehow is kind of everywhere and sees everything that's going on and, is, and he's holding everything together or whatever, right? The difficult part is believing that he's right next to you. And that's really what we're talking about here. Is God right next to me? Is he right here in this room? Is he sitting in every chair with you or next to you somehow? The Bible says that he is. God is that voice you've heard whispering the good stuff to you. The good thing. The true things. He's the one that gives you that sense of known. Like, all those things that happen in your life that no one else experiences when you're by yourself, that sense that maybe you might have that someone else just does see everything that's in my life. Like, every word you've ever spoken, like, someone's actually heard that. It's the voice telling you to do the right thing, to love, saying you can do it, speaking acceptance about who you really are, whether you're a Christian or not. The Bible says God is pursuing us all, and he is there, and he's always been there because he's everywhere. His loving presence is everywhere. My family had a number of dogs growing up, but one dog I remember was named Missy. And Missy had, had some uh, insecurity issues. So she never wanted to be alone. So she was constantly just following people. You know, you'd kind of be in the room with her, and she'd be, look like she's asleep, and you kind of get up and walk out. Up, dog was up, right in your heels. Oftentimes, like, walking in front of you, you're tripping over her. Always needed to be with a person. We got her from the pound. You know, we didn't know what happened to her before we had her. Now, please don't say I'm blaspheming here, but I just want to compare Missy to, to God for a second. I'm not saying God is a dog. But what I am saying is that God is just like that. Minus the insecurity in your life. He is always wanting to be right there with you in the sense of, when I say that, I mean he already is there, but he's wanting you to know that he is there. To recognize his presence 
that it's always there and it is a presence of love. God's that into you. Always glad to see you. Always jumping up and down. I, mean, I think there's something that God wants to teach you about what you know about Himself through dogs. You know, I mean, they really man's best friend in a lot of ways, right? They they, they are, you know, they're. I mean, if it's your dog, a lot of times those other dogs, you know, don't bite me or my kids, please. Right, but there's something about that, right? That excitement, that gladness, that wanting to be with you, following you around. That God is that way for us. That's the first thing we've got to get, get, get over. God is everywhere, but that means He's right here in my circumstances with me. And He's happy to be with me. And He's glad to see me, and He wants me just to recognize that He's there. The second thing is, and this maybe this, this just sounds so cliche, but just that is God is good. That God really is good. We already saw that a little bit in Jesus' interaction with Martha. But let's just consider for a moment how amazing Jesus when he was on this earth, walking around, how amazing he was. I mean, who wouldn't want to have been around Jesus? Every person that's sick, Jesus is just, boom, they're better. He's accepting of everyone, which did bother some people, right? From the prostitute to the tax collector to, you know, lepers that were outcasts from society. You know, he's touching them. And not just physically healing them, but restoring them into community and relationship. Mary, Mary saw that. I mean, she just saw that. And she just, I think she's just overwhelmed by Jesus' amazingness. That she can't tear herself away in this picture to help Martha, even though she probably knows there's a lot to do. I had a friend in college uh, who was an amazing storyteller. And had lots of romantic drama, meaning he couldn't get a date. But he always wanted one. And he lived on my floor, and uh, he's now married happily. He's a wonderful guy, so it worked out. The point is that we would all gather in his room. His room was the gathering place where all the guys would always be kind of coming in and out. And a lot of times it centered around, oh, Jeff's got a whopper today of how he blew it, you know, interacting with this girl. And so he would just tell this long story about how he saw this girl across the cafeteria and kind of made his way over and then said something really dumb and it was just really awkward, right? You know, kind of day after day. But the point is it it was so fun to be around this guy and be just because of, of his own, you know, just kind of openness with his life, but also his amazing gift at telling stories, Right? It was, it was just like a joy. We're all sitting there laughing, you know, kind of cracking up at how he, you know, how he blew it or, you know, or sometimes, you know, the, the, the occasional success story. Um, it's like, I don't know if, you, if, you've, if you've ever been around someone that's like incredibly funny. I mean, it's just like, you just laugh. There's just so much joy around that gift of, of, of laughter. I sense that that's what it was like to be around Jesus. He's like the best storyteller you ever heard. He's like the most entertaining person. But it really went deeper than that too. 
He's like the kindest person you ever met and always says like the kindest things to people. He actually listens to people too. And not just always talking about, you know, all you get from Jesus a lot of times is he's preaching these stories, but he also asks a lot of questions. You know, he's like the best listener you ever just, just, he's just pulling stuff out of you. Nothing ever shook him. I mean, like, nothing ever got him scared or rattled. Nothing ever overwhelmed him. And so were you, when you were around Jesus, I mean, it was like you just felt safe. You felt safe to be who you were, accepted. It just, to be with him was like to be free, full of hope. And he always did the right thing especially in those awkward moments when you and I never know what to do. That's Jesus. I mean, that's what it was like to walk around with this guy. Oh my gosh, we're out of wine. It's a wedding. Jesus, do something. This isn't my time. Just do what he says. And the party continues. Right? That's what it was like to be around Jesus. I mean, I just, I just want you to start to imagine what it would be like if Jesus entered into your world. How that would change things. Over 10 years ago now, I, I attended the summer wedding of one of my, another college buddy. And it was on the North Shore, beautiful wedding. And I think it was at a church in Peabody. And then the reception was somewhere out in kind of the North Shore. I can't remember where exactly, but in the middle, it was kind of in the middle of like a field or on a farm. And they got the perfect day. For this wedding. And, I, and when I say perfect, I mean actually a little too perfect because it was hot. All right, you'll take that over, over rain probably any day. But it was one of those full on New England, humid, brutal summer days. And so the reception is underneath these tents and it's a lobster bait. You know, so you're eating lobster, I mean, which is awesome. I mean, who doesn't want lobster? Maybe some of you don't like lobster. Most of you, I'm sure, that's good. You're, you're, you're dipping it in butter. You're getting it all smeared all over your face. And there's nothing worse than grease when it's hot, right? You're hot. You're sticky. What happened was the catering uh, company ran out of drinks. And so they had this wonderful cold, ice-cold lemonade and water, you know. But after a while, there just wasn't any left. And everyone's just kind of walking around buttery and thirsty and hot under this tent in this humidity, just wondering, where's the water? You know, how can they not have water here, you know? What would it have been like if Jesus had been at that wedding? I mean, what's it like just to be around Jesus? Jesus, we're out of lemonade, Jesus. Oh, no problem, you know? Boom. I mean, do you have faith for that? I mean, that's what it's like to be around Jesus. He's always turning things around from the overwhelming circumstances of a hot, you know, wedding in the summer without things to drink and buttery lobster, right? It was wonderful, by the way. I'm not trying to say it was a bad day. It was a great day. But he's always turning that into a higher place when we are with him. So, 
the key to getting out of our being overwhelmed by our circumstances is moving into being overwhelmed by something else. And that is the person of Jesus being overwhelmed by his love. What does that look like? It looks like learning how to relate to that God, that person that has actually always been there with you. And you may have brushed shoulders with at times. And little points in your life where maybe you saw it or you recognized it. And accepting that that person is entirely good and completely loving. Moving towards that person. To the point where you're, you're, you're falling in love because they're just so awesome. So incredibly good and wonderful. All right. So how you're saying, okay, I'm starting to get this picture. How would I practically actually get to know God or fall in love with Him or enter into this relationship where I actually am sensing that He is actually there? I think simply the, the, the ask from Jesus is to do life with Him. This picture that Mary is giving us of sitting at his feet and listening to his words is to do life somehow with Jesus. Before I get into the real practicals on that, you need to know that this is for you. It's not for the pastor guy with a degree from a seminary. It's not for the missionary that was up here. Right? It's, it's not for those super special people only. Because you know what? Mary wasn't very special back then. The fact that the, the, the gospel says that Mary, a woman, was sitting at the feet of Jesus is a radical statement for that culture. Because no rabbi back then would have had a disciple who was a woman. The picture is that everyone is welcome and everyone can sit at the feet of Jesus. You can follow Jesus. It is possible for you to do life with Jesus and the Bible is saying it is possible. It is God's goal for your life that you would fall in love with Him as you learn to do life with Him and you get to know Him more and more. So how do we do that? Well, I think one of the biggest things, I'm going to give you a couple things to hold on to here, is just trying to learn to engage with God throughout your day. It's a simple thing of just trying to turn your attention to the fact that Maybe God is right here with me. Maybe He's been here all along. There was this monk in the 17th century. He was just a, a common man that joined this, this, what's it called, a monastery after a short career as a foot soldier. And he joined this monastery and he was kind of given the lowest place of the dish guy. He was apparently kind of clumsy and, you know, maybe not that bright or whatever. 
And he, he basically, as he's doing these dishes, he set himself to the task of focusing on one thing, and that was practicing the presence of God. That at all times, he was just going to try to remind himself throughout every moment, as much as possible, that God was right there with him. That the presence of love, the God of love, the God who is love, was right there alongside of him. And that was what his rule of life was. Over time, he became so filled with, with the presence of God around him that was tangibly felt to others, that like the abbot, who apparently was kind of like the head-up guy in these monasteries, would come to him for advice. The dish man. His name was Brother Lawrence. He, and he had, there's, a, there's a small book that, he, that is taken from him that he wrote down, kind of this journey of practicing the presence of God. There's something really important for us in this. Jesus calls it, abide in me, in John 15, or remain in me. Remain in my love. He's wanting us to be connected to Him, to be reminding ourselves that He's there all the time, right there alongside of us, and He's not giving us the back of the hand. He's actually embracing us and wanting to help us move forward, wanting to bring us to a place where we are overwhelmed by love. Now, our situation is different than Martha's. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. That's crazy talk. It's good that I go away because then I can send my spirit and I can be in heaven ruling at the right hand of the Father, administering this kingdom that's going to fill the earth and the Holy Spirit can be with you and in you at all times. So Martha can be in the kitchen with Jesus. Martha can be with the kids with Jesus. Martha can be at work on the computer with Jesus. Martha can be washing those dishes your roommate left over with Jesus. And when I say Martha, I mean you, right? So it's just something I invite you into. Ask the Lord for a word or something to, to, to bring you back to saying, okay, God's with me right now. The second thing, and that's kind of the presence, just, just knowing that God is present to you, getting that inside of you so that you're feeling it more and more. The second thing is just simply listening, excuse me, to God's voice. Doing what Mary is actually doing here. She's sitting in the presence of Jesus and she's listening to his words. And of course, the Bible is a huge part of that, but it also needs to get personal. And that's why we give these journals away. Because we believe that everyone can hear God's voice and that he wants to interact with you in a personal level. And if you're not doing that, it's going to be, in, my, in, in some sense, difficult to fall in love with him. You can t do it talking out loud. You can do it writing down in a journal. It's often helpful to have something to keep you kind of tuned in. If we want to move away from being overwhelmed by life and its circumstances, we've got to be overwhelmed by something else. And God would love for us to fall in love with Him. 
That's really what he wants above all else. He's longing for that from us. And he wants to enter into our circumstances with us and bring us to a higher place so that when we can walk those circumstances with us and he can begin to turn things around. 